Hello, and welcome to Into the Aether. It is a low-key video game podcast, and I am Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. Spring is here, Brendan. Can you feel it? It is here. I went to a cherry blossom festival over the weekend in Washington, D.C., the District of Columbia. The capital. That's amazing. Where they're taxed, but not represented. It's pretty messed up. It is. Kind of embarrassing, if I'm being honest. Not to get... Too politically heavy <laughs> right at the top. Usually we save this for when we're thanking the patrons. Yeah, that's right. We save all our, our tax talk for the patrons. <laughs> <laughs> you come here for low-key video game talk and tariffs and other discussions. <laughs> it was 65 in Chicago, which is like oh, man. A, ho- a holy event, you know? It's beautiful. For the first time this year which has only been three months, but the first time in 2022, <laughs> I went on like a jacketless stroll and I felt unstoppable. I, yeah. I, I didn't want to stop moving. I was like a comet. You did text me about this and stroll was in all caps and I really felt stroll in all caps, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I wasn't kidding. I don't capitalize needlessly. I needed, it was a, there's a different definition for capital stroll. Yeah, 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 yeah totally. Well, I so here's the thing. I was away yeah. all weekend, which means I didn't really get to play a lot of video games. I don't know what this episode is going to look like. I don't know if it's going to be long or if it's going to be short or what's going on here. But I didn't play a lot of video games over the weekend. But it doesn't really matter because between Thursday and Friday, boy, did I play a lot of Tunic, uh, yeah. the new video game that launched on Xbox Game Pass. Uh, I think on PC as well. Yeah. You can obviously just go out and buy it. I would guess anything if you're out there and you're like, oh, man, I want to play this game, but I, I, I don't have an Xbox at the moment. I would bet anything that it's going to show up on Switch and the PlayStation devices at some point. I would bet it's a timed exclusive. But at the moment, it's Xbox only. This game got announced, I think, like actually in maybe like 2016, 2015. Oh, really? It's been yeah. that long? It's been that wow. long and then uh, has gone through multiple just like kind of different versions of it have been shown. It had a different name at one point and then initially I think uh, 2018 they showed it off like as Tunic at E3 on the Xbox stage, which like kind of, you know, linked it hand in hand with Xbox. So definitely a timed exclusive at least. But I've played just so much of it. I was really trying to finish it before this episode. I like really wanted to make that happen. <laughs> you can't do that to me twice. Yeah. I, here's the thing. Like I just it's it's really good and most most moments i want to be playing it but i did feel at a certain point that like if i if i get to the end of it too quickly i will feel like i have rushed it so i'm now taking my time because i i'm i'm definitely towards the end like there is a critical path here and i will obviously talk about what the game is but there's a critical path here and i i got really close to what i feel like is probably the end so now i'm spending a lot of time like going and checking stuff out and like kind of filling in some blanks that i know i missed for sure because there are a lot of people in the discord talking about this game as well and uh, I know I've missed a lot, so I, I, I definitely need to double back. Okay, what is Tunic? Let's talk about what Tunic is. Yeah, Tunic is a very interesting video game. I played a demo of this last summer during the Summer of Games or like the Summer Games Fest or whatever it was. And Xbox and Jeff Keighley uh, in tandem released a bunch of uh, demos for a bunch of Xbox games. Lake was one of them, which was great. Oh, cool. Sable was one of them. And Tunic was one of them. That's right. That's right. I remember that. Yeah. Tunic I was into, but I wasn't like totally sold on it. I, I enjoyed my time with it for a little bit. But at the time when I played it, my my impression of it was just like, this is literally just just kind of the legend of zelda it's like another indie 
like isometric or top down kind of hack and slash Zelda thing. And I didn't really I, I didn't really feel much more than that about the game, but I was interested enough to think like, I'll probably check this out when it comes out. And then Death's Door came out and I, I don't want to compare the two too much, but Death's Door is a game that came out and got a lot of acclaim. You liked it a lot. Yeah, I did. But I know why you're comparing the two because that they're going after very similar things within similar inspiration. Yes, exactly. Uh, yeah. There's like a little Souls energy in Death's Door. There's like a, a lot of Zelda energy in Death's Door. But for some reason, it just didn't work for me. It didn't click for me. And I, I knew that there was something missing from that game that I, I was hoping I would get from Tunic. And I didn't know what that was. I didn't know what that thing was. But my brief time with the Tunic demo, I, I should mention, the Tunic demo crashed while I was playing it. So I only played it for like 30 minutes. Uh, <laughs> so I didn't really get a good sense of what the game was. But I was like, I don't know. It's Death's Door, but it's colorful. This sounds great to me. And I was really hoping that when Tunic dropped, it would it would kind of fill in whatever this like strange gap that I, I felt needed to be filled in was. And the game is now out. I've played so much of it. <laughs> and I the answer is is Fez. The answer is like, what if what if it was Zelda plus Dark Souls plus Fez? And like, I know that that's such a reductive way of talking about it, but like, that's what it is. And the thing is, I love all three of those things, like at, at my core, like my soul is like doing backflips. Uh, and so is my body. A tunic is like, it just feels like it was made for me. I mean, it, it is, I, I, I don't know how to be more effusive about this game than comparing it to Fez at all. I even think that there are some things that this game is taking from Fez and like, I would say exceeding all expectations in terms of that inspiration. I think it's, I think it's one upping in a lot of ways that I feel very strongly about. But the way it works essentially is you wake up and you're like a little cartoon cute fox on a beach. Uh, and just like I would say the very first Zelda game, you make your way towards this cave and it has a sign next to it that's pointing at the cave. And then you go to read the sign. You're like, I, I imagine it's going to say like, go in the cave. But it doesn't, dear listener, because there's not it doesn't it's not in English. It's not in any language that you can really discern. It's just runes essentially on this sign. It's a language that they've invented for this this game so you can't even read it and then you go into the cave and you open up a chest and you get a stick and not a sword so already the game is like really throwing you for a loop because yeah. like all right well i expected to get a sword couldn't do that wanted to read the sign couldn't do that i also don't know what all the buttons do at all but you got to figure out how to use the stick that you just picked up and as you continue to make your way through this game you'll start to, this is i think the biggest and most interesting thing you start to pick up pages of something and you can pull up at any time, you can pull up what is literally the instruction manual for the video game tunic that has its pages scattered all over the world in game. And the pages that you pick up will inform you about how to play and what the mechanics of the game are. So essentially, the hook of the game is learning how to play it. So you have the bones of these, I, I would say, like uh, almost, I don't want to say overdone, but a little bit overdone kind of style for some people. I, I, I don't fully feel this. I think there's a lot of interesting avenues you can take like Tunic does. But I, I would say a very common form of indie game, which is like this kind of top down Zelda inspired, like more of a focus on combat kind of game. That's all there. And that's all like solid and stellar and really well done. But the actual meat of the game is discovery. The actual meat of the game is the joy of figuring out how it works. The puzzle pieces of the world, the puzzle pieces of the actual mechanics themselves, poking at the edges of spaces and seeing if there's a secret passageway or a chest that's hidden behind a wall that you can't see uh things like that that's what tunic really is it's about that joy yeah. of discovery the the best analogy i've heard for it is uh from the dlc podcast with uh jeff Knott and christian spicer and they they talked about how it is 
trying to optimize for the feeling you had when you were in middle school and you met another kid on the playground who is playing the same game as you and they tell you about something absolutely wild that you didn't even know was possible in the game and you immediately pull out the instruction manual because you had it in your backpack because you're so excited about the game that you brought to school with you and then wrote it in the notes section in the back that whole thing is what tunic wants to recreate over and over and over again and i think that's best exemplified by the fact that when they sent this game out to reviewers they set up a disc like an official discord just for people who had review code so they could all talk about the game and figure out its secrets collaboratively like they they want you to have those conversations back and forth they want it to be a communal experience to uncover what tunic has to offer i've seen that happen in our own discord which has been so cool at, at, at first it was just like me and like two other people playing it and then very quickly i think more and more people caught on that this game is sick and now that that channel is like really just filled with incredible and weird and interesting information and i'm frequently being surprised by things uh still like again i'm towards the end of the game and i'm still shocked by stuff that's happening i'm gonna i'm gonna sit back for a minute i want to know how you're feeling about it um no i'm so happy to see this lit up by a game especially immediately after elden ring which you know feels like a gravity well at this point Um, yes I do think that this is like the perfect post Elden Ring game, though. Yeah. Or at least post I'm still in the process of beating the final boss. I need a break. <laughs> but yeah. So Tunic, I think you you brought up a lot of things that, that were kind of in my head while playing and kind of entering this episode. One thing that I really want to stress is how easily this could have been such a frustrating experience. Yeah. Basically, the game building around the idea that they're not going to give you a language that you can understand Mm -hmm. and similar to Elden Ring. Truly there's a lot of confidence the game has in the player to put two and two together. And I think what prevents tunic from feeling totally opaque is actually the fact that it is borrowing from very familiar genres. Mm. Like this is actually one of the few indie Zelda like souls influence games that it's using those genres to kind of aid the familiarity the player has with those genres. So that like when we're thrown into this world, we kind of know the rules a little bit, even though Mm -hmm. the game has Mm -hmm. fun twisting them and, you know, defying our expectations. Like there's a logic that we kind of slowly understand that does feel like very much like solving a puzzle. Yeah. In some ways. It's interesting. I, I That comparison is really interesting because it reminds me a lot of the Microsoft strategy for getting people to... I, I've definitely talked about this on the show before, but there, there's this Microsoft strategy for getting people to understand new systems of interacting with the computer. Yeah. Initially with the mouse and keyboard, uh, that was why they included Solitaire in, in Windows because people like had an understanding of how to play Solitaire. So teaching them how to use a mouse to point and click and drag things around the screen was like a natural way to get people to understand that in interaction um and the same thing with minecraft and vr uh w- right. that was part of the reason for the minecraft just one sliver of the reason for the minecraft acquisition was this idea that when we're introducing things like hololens and augmented reality and virtual reality we can get people to understand this easier and faster by putting them in a world that they already know and understand like minecraft which had become so ubiquitous at that point that it was like the obvious analog for literally solitaire which is wild right but you're right i mean that's that's exactly how zelda and soul stuff is is used here right like the first time you go find a statue that looks like a bonfire from dark souls you immediately know what that thing is going to do when you go up to it and press a exactly and i think again not to pit this game against death's door but one of the points of tension with death's door was that the game chose not to have a map and Mm -hmm. i think because they wanted to go after a similar experience 
that Tunic is where like the player is going to make a mental note of the map. I mean, in Tunic, theoretically, you do eventually get a map in the instruction booklet, yes. but you don't have a traditional map in the way that, you know, you, you would in a game like this. But even without that page, even without the map, and I'm someone who gets lost very easily, the way the levels are designed in Tunic, it does feel like you're slowly untying a knot and you'll kind of like recall places and be like, oh, this is this place and this is that place. Like they've really gamified the moment in Dark Souls where you push open a door and you're back to where you used to be and you're like, now they're connected. Hell yes. yeah. This is one of the things I wanted to bring up because this is the thing that like really fucks me up about Tunic over everything else is the cool thing about Dark Souls and that interconnectivity between spaces and Dark Souls. The first one I, I should mention to be specific. The thing that everybody always references about that game and I think Bloodborne does this very well as well is yeah. when you open up that door and you're connecting those two spaces together you're really it's just kind of a shortcut you know it's just kind of like a okay this door was always here maybe I had an awareness that the door was here like maybe I always knew that this ladder was here now I can finally go up or down that ladder because I kicked it down or maybe I, I finally have the key to open this door it could only be open from one side or the other etc cetera, etc cetera. the thing that really fucks me up about tunic that I think takes that idea and and brings it to its logical conclusion in a way is these shortcuts that you're unlocking in tunic were literally always there you just didn't find them you just didn't right. know you didn't even know to look for them but there are a couple instances in which i have found pathways from the very first i don't i don't want to say too much obviously in this segment like for fear of spoilers etc cetera, etc cetera, because it's all about discovery but there are some instances in which i have found connections i found literal pathways between the starting area and the ending area of the video game that were always there there was nothing obscuring my ability to go to the end of the game from the beginning of the game except for the fact that i just didn't think to like bump up against this wall and see if there was even a wall there in the first place and every time that happens my brain just completely shatters because <laughs> it happens frequently yeah. it happens all the time in tunic it's a big flex of game design because they know you're going to go along a certain path like yeah. you know you, you kind of make your way up this like Link's awakening beach and then you find the statue yes and the only time i've seen language in the game uh, other than like the menu where it's like, you know, you can quit or whatever. Mm -hmm. The I've seen English is there's a giant door early on that just says sealed forever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like it, it, when they do give you a language you can read, it is very purposeful and it stands yeah. out. You said this game was sort of made for you. And every now and then I play a game that I feel that for you, like Sinar Wallet Hearts. I'm like, I feel like I'm in Brendan's head right now. Yeah. Like, this is like <laughs> your palace. But the music in this game is very reminiscent of the music I know you love and the music that you create where it's like so it's so atypical from what you would expect like if you see footage of Tunic you wouldn't expect it to have like a atmospheric largely electronic soundtrack yeah but it does really complement the game so well and it does like unconsciously imply that this is going to be different than you expect yeah the game's kind of slowly similar to oh there's a part of the map I could have just like gone to this place there are moments like that that happen like in a bigger way that I feel like the music is is linked to. Like there's a there's a little piece of the game from Go that is like setting up a deviation from the conventions of the rest of it. 
Yeah. The soundtrack reminds me a lot of Disaster Pieces Fez soundtrack yeah. as well, in a way. But kind of, look, I love that soundtrack. I love Fez, like one of my favorite games of all time. But the soundtrack here, it's by Lifeformed, uh, just to give them a shout out. They're absolutely incredible. I brought them up on our best soundtracks of all time bonus episode that we did. Uh, they, they did the soundtrack for Dust Force and also for uh, Indie Game, the movie, the documentary that I don't even know if that's available anymore. But anyway, they did uh, the soundtrack for that as well. I, I'm a big fan of life formed and have been for a very very long time so seeing them on this was like sick and i i think that this sound this score goes in places that i always wish the fez score did which is like you have this you have this sonic palette of like really interesting electronic kind of almost ambient instrumentation that is clearly following a tempo but there's no actual driving beat to go along with that tempo in all of in most of fez um there are a couple moments where like there's an actual drum and it it works really well but tunic allows itself life formed allows the soundtrack to like have drums in it sometimes and that by itself is a huge deviation from what i expected the score to be because specifically i mean I, I i was kind of expecting that from lifeform because the dust force soundtrack like rips all the time but tunic feels like it's supposed to be more atmospheric and as you're saying it kind of deviates from that in a pretty major way but specifically like when you're fighting bosses and the drum track kicks in it's it's like heart poundingly rad i mean it just gets so fucking cool i i can't speak highly enough about the soundtrack i know you've been listening to it a lot outside of the game yeah. I have as well. I mean, it, it just rules. It's like immediately one of my all-time favorite video game soundtracks. <laughs> I, I, like, I really can't speak highly enough of it. I always know I love a soundtrack when I hear a song and I'm like, I'm going to be nostalgic for this in like a week. Like, yes, yeah. I already have a very strong emotion tied to this song yeah. that I don't know its name yet. Like, I don't have vocabulary <laughs> for this feeling yet. But I know, I felt that way with Undertale where I'm like, and that game has a lot of recurring themes. Mm -hmm, like, there's, mm -hmm. there's secretly a song that plays in almost every song that like yeah. you know whether or not you notice it is grabbing your heart and ready to a motif. <laughs> yes <laughs> oh a recurring theme yes um, uh, which is happening a lot in tunic yeah and and the way they're able to to warp those motifs uh depending on the area you're in and depending on the encounter you're in is really cool i mean like interactive music design is not new but the way it's used in tunic is really something special can i loop back around also to Please. um just talking about this this experience of like constantly finding pathways between spaces that you didn't know existed and and that holy shit moment i can't believe like literally at any point if i had bumped into this wall and like checked if there was a pathway here i would be you know in x space instead of where i am now that feeling is amazing it's i think even doubly in more interesting when it happens mechanically as well and i don't mm. know if you've figured this out or i don't know if you've like run into any instances of this yet where you'll get a page of the manual i should mention also because i don't think i said it explicitly but the manual is also in this fake language that they created for the game so you can't even understand the manual you just have to kind of like infer based on the buttons that are in the manual and by the illustrations which are amazing yeah i want a physical copy of this so badly like, i know me too I, I hope they print one that'd be they, great okay so they made them for reviewers which makes me think like eventually maybe they'll go on sale. So I'm, I'm hopeful that that'll happen at some point. Yeah, I would love to buy one. But every once in a while, you'll pick up a page of this manual that will essentially just like give you a, an entire game mechanic that you didn't even know was 
available to you, but has been available the whole time had you just like pressed the right button in the right place or done the right thing at the right time. Uh, and, and whenever that happens, it's like shock. Like just I think a, a fun example of this are, are like the items you pick up. There are item descriptions in the game that you can't read for these things. So you just kind of like have to use them. I think it's their way of um, getting around this idea of like hoarding consumables that is, you know, pretty prevalent for most people who play most games that have inventories at all. Yeah. Um, in this game, you literally have to use stuff to like learn what it is even in the first place. And like sometimes that'll be helpful and sometimes that won't. Sometimes you'll hurt yourself trying to figure out what an item is. But the thing that I think blew my mind and and I, I don't consider this one too much of a spoiler, which is why this is the one that I want to use as the example for the listener. If you haven't played this game yet is like, like you have stats in this game, like you have you have the ability to level up. <laughs> in oh, Tunic. Wow. I didn't know that. Yet. I know. Yeah. I mean, that's like, of, of course you do, because it's, you know, inspired by souls and whatever. And it's a Zelda game. So like, of course, you're going to get like a better sword or something. But like, yeah, how how is that power increase? going to manifest itself in tunic and the answer is that you have the ability to level up and you've had the ability to level up literally the entire time you've been playing so far it's just you didn't know how to do it yet until you find the page of the manual that tells you how it's like oh my god why didn't i think to try this or why didn't i think to do this and that moment by itself was shocking it should also be mentioned leveling up feels like really like seismic in this game like if you level up your attack it is a huge increase like a dude that used to take four hits to kill will take like one or two now just by leveling up your attack one point which is pretty sick um you don't get to do it that often which i think you know is how they're kind of like gating your progress uh in in some cases but they're like pretty sizable increases i would say i i went on um i definitely broke the i would say like more normal pathway that you're supposed to make through this game at least based on seeing other people in discord talking about their progression through the game i definitely played it a little bit out of order and did a much harder boss before i did a much easier boss but the only reason i was able to do that was because i like knew to level up and i knew how to level up and i had done it a lot i had like made it a point to like go out and find all the stuff i needed to level up as much as possible and then when i went back to that first boss it was sick because I just like completely <laughs> ripped them to pieces. But yeah, I mean, stuff like that will happen frequently. You will constantly pick up pages that'll be like, I'm so mad that I never thought to like press this button in front of this object or something uh, and, and you know, use this entire mechanic that I didn't know existed until now. And I think this game too, like in terms of the soul's influence, because I think that's something that you and I are, are often more critical of where yeah. the, these, you know, Dark Souls is undeniably a huge influence for all games, but sometimes the games that shout out the influence can kind of be surface level. Like it could be just having certain elements from a Souls game, but not really understanding why they're there. Right. And this game, really what they've taken from the Souls series is just the level design, uh, which I think shares a lot in common with Zelda. I think like they had the checkpoints, they had the losing the currency when you die. There's like the, the stamina meter and you can roll out of the way. I wouldn't say, and correct me if I'm wrong, if it gets harder later, but I wouldn't say it's like one-to-one with like Souls difficulty. It seems it gets like- so fucking hard. Steve. Oh really? <laughs> it gets so hard. But there are some accessibility <laughs> options I saw in the menu. Like there yes. are actually like I, I don't know bring this up too. how in in depth they go, but there are options. Um, They're not that in is, depth. I would say the two main yeah. ones are there's a there's a no fail mode which makes it so you don't take any damage when you get hit, and then there's another uh, toggle that you can turn on that um, makes it so you don't lose stamina. Um, oh wow! Okay. So, so there's there's no stamina loss when you when you move around and do stuff. I I have turned on no fail mode one time to get through an area that like 
man, I just I love that that's an option. Like, I'm so glad that that's an option because there's just this one area that's banging my head against. Like, just I kept dying on like a random enemy over and over and over again. And I was like, I know I can beat this thing. I just like don't have the patience for it specifically because like the game to me, it's you know partially about the difficulty but like that's that's not why i'm playing tunic that's not the enjoyment that i'm getting out of tunic yeah that's what i was gonna say at least yeah it asks you to play it uh in a way that like you understand the combat but i i haven't felt like there's no margit the fellow man waiting for me quite yet uh i'm sure maybe margit's somewhere later on but (laughs) yeah you'll you'll run into some bosses that will definitely give you some trouble um But for me, just like making my way around the world, like just trying to see if there are secrets in a place, like getting killed by like random enemies over and over and over again is like not fun, really, Um, especially when the game is so much about discovery, like being prevented from doing that gets more frustrating than anything. It's like the only point of frustration I've really had with Tunic so far. And it's quickly alleviated by just turning on no fail mode for 10 minutes so you can run past them and then you're finding stuff again. You're having a good time. So, I, I mean, we say it. A lot on this show, every game should have options like this in the menu. Like, literally every game, I think. There's really no reason to not, I think. Yeah, totally. I really, really love the... Uh, I don't know how to describe... I, I think we used the term soft 3D before in terms of just the visual style mm. yes. of, of things. But there's, like, this element of, like, some of the enemies almost look like little paper craft. Mm-hmm. Um, they're polygonal in a, in a way, but there's, like, very, like, high-res textures. It, it kind of looks like one step in a different direction from the Link's Awakening Switch remake. It Absolutely. It has that yeah. kind of toy box feel, but this is more polygonal, almost Sayonara Wild Hearts, like, mm-hmm. surrealness with the soundtrack and the, like, neon world. Yeah, buckle up, too, because, I mean, that that influence comes in uh, hot and heavy further and further in. Well, that's what I want. I was hoping that would build up. Yeah. yeah. This is, a, I guess, another small spoiler, but I won't go into specifics, but I went into a building and... I they're going into your like, oh, you could just do this. You always could do this. You didn't need to be told you could do this. Why not try it? Uh, I kept walking in a direction where there was no floor in this like very dreamlike mm. space. Yes. And I met a character who you would assume is like a boss, but they are actually a merchant. Mm-hmm. And like that, that is yet another moment where like it is both subverting your expectations with convention but utilizing them differently and also allowing you to like do things you didn't know you could do or like showing you there are things like because I kept I kept wondering like what is my money for? Like I keep getting coins, but like I don't know yeah. what it's for because like there are plenty of Zelda games where rubies are like nothing. Like I, I never buy anything. Right. I might as well not even collect them. Yeah. Uh, but here there, there seems to be a reason. I imagine that's also how you level up at some point. I'll, I'll never tell. Ah! Um, but yeah, it's, it's really incredible. It's, it, I, I feel like, I mean, these games were developed in their own places and times, but I feel like this coming out alongside Elden Ring to me shows like a very clear direction of like discovery as a driving force, which has always been a thing in games, but I feel like there seems to be a stronger understanding of how to build around discovery rather than the illusion of that. I mean, even just thinking about Zelda, like the very first Zelda game was largely about exploration and discovery, but it was made at a time where like it was too opaque. Like there was, Mm -hmm. there, there were things that like you would actually have no idea you could do when you find that out a GameFAQs forum, you're not 
enlightened. You're like, what? Yeah, you're annoyed. Yeah. And then you have, you know, Link to the Past kind of making the foundation of a modern Zelda game. But I feel like in the middle there, Zelda became, and this isn't a bad thing. I think this is just a different style of game, but Zelda pre Breath of the Wild was largely more authored and more about Mm -hmm. kind of Mm -hmm. the the story and the sort of scripted events and and the discovery was a a scripted part of it. You know, it was like, oh, now you have this item, you can utilize this. And that's that's fun. But I think Breath of the Wild was really Nintendo looking back at the first game and be like, let's try that again. But we have more tools to actually deliver that experience. Right. And Elden Ring and Tunic in their own worlds are games that are like there is there is a illustrated main path but the way you get there is dependent on what you as a player as a person playing this game internalize or what you find or what the game directly tells you yeah and those like three elements can kind of like solidify at any time and that will aid your unique experience playing it i also think tunic shows that like you can have a much smaller game in a in a uh, typically oversaturated genre of of games that we're arguably like getting a little bit tired of, but still feel really fresh and have that discovery feel really inspired, even though it's not in like the biggest world of all time. So I think that like <laughs> both games feel very important to me for different reasons. And I think the design philosophy for both Elden Ring and Tunic are like eerily one-to-one yeah i totally agree yeah i mean so i i've mentioned this uh already on the show but like i i'm done with elden ring at this point not like done done <laughs> I, but like I, I can't believe it I, i'm sorry I'm, I'm very i i'm impressed but now having finally gotten to the final boss i'm like how how did he do this in like one week <laughs> this is a problem you're the elden lord yeah um i, I so i i've beat the end of Elden Ring and I'm actually in New Game Plus now uh, specifically because uh, well A they updated Elden Ring they added yeah. a bunch of like new NPC quest lines and like finished some quest lines that were just apparently left dormant which I didn't realize but because I was at the end of the game like just kind of like bumbling around the end state of the world I couldn't continue those quest lines so I have no idea where they go and I was like oh, th- that's a good enough reason for me to start New Game Plus actually so I can like see all of these quests through and see what's going on with these people. But th- that having been said, the the thing about Elden Ring that I, I found really striking and really interesting, like just is that sense of discovery. Like I, I enjoy the combat. I enjoy the sense of like getting stronger and making my way through the world. And like obviously at New Game Plus, it's really fun because I'm, you know, wiping out bosses very quickly that gave me a lot of trouble. Like I, I took out, uh, for those of you who played Elden Ring, I took out the Grafted Scion and the Tree Sentinel and Margit like all in one go. Like just hell yeah. In like literally one session of sitting down to play Elden Ring New Game Plus. I just like wiped out all three. It was like, this is going to be sick. I've heard some people call it the revenge run, and I really, <laughs> I really get that. But I feel that way even just exploring, like, now that I'm kind of in the end game, going back to lower level areas and just being like unfair. Now I'm the tree sentinel. You're the boss. Yes. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Anyway, the reason I wanted to go back and do new game plus was specifically to like poke at the edges of the world that I didn't earlier. Right. Because I, I definitely played the game very fast. I feel like I did a lot in my first run, to be clear. Like I, I didn't not play almost a hundred hours in my first run. Like I really, I really saw a lot of stuff, but there's some stuff that I, I'm like seeing people talk about in the discord and online that like, I, I didn't even see glimpses of, um, there are multiple endings to the game that I didn't know anything about. So I'm playing it again, specifically to like get another taste of that feeling of discovery. Like I really, I really want to, uh, like find those secret passageways in Elden Ring, but that's what felt so good about jumping right into tunic after that. Um, after I finished Elden Ring for the first time was like, man, I 
I'm just getting that feeling on a much smaller scale in like kind of a toy box setting that's a little bit less hostile towards me. Like to be to be clear, Tunic does get very difficult, but I always feel like I'm in control and the moments in which it does get difficult, it usually means that I haven't fully pieced together how I'm supposed to progress yet or it means that I haven't leveled up enough, which like that's on me, really. That's not that's not on the game. So the moment the moments in which the game gets too difficult are things that are in my control, which I feel really good about. Like in Elden Ring, yeah. you could go like grind for runes and level up if you really want to, but it's really about like studying and understanding and learning the bosses but at the same time there are entire mechanics in Elden Ring that you could miss and never never stumble upon that will make the game wildly easier for you Tunic doesn't really have that they they do have for as open as it is and for how much they trust the player and and I would say you know hope they'll poke up against some walls and find some secret stuff pretty early on they do also have a pretty authored critical path that you'll follow and you'll find instruction manual pages maybe not in the right order but at least in an order where you'll understand how to progress to the end of tunic pretty pretty quickly which i think is really impressive considering how open the game actually is when you start playing it yeah absolutely and i mean it has the classic stuff too like i got the sword which takes like a little longer than you think it's going to yes i kind of like that i do too but there are a lot of paths early on that are like completely obscured by trees or by like you know they're they're square shaped shrubs which i think are brilliant design just like show that they're literally blocked yeah never have i felt more triumph over just cutting grass i (laughs) i cut down every tree i see and now i can go so many like once you get the sword it really does open up tremendously it's not like oh there's one path in cerulean city that i can go to now it's like (laughs) there there are so many avenues and i think the game knows how fun it is because i actually got an achievement for cutting down a lot of grass (laughs) it was like you cut down a thousand blades of grass uh here's some xbox gamer points that's really funny um, so yeah, I, I'm really impressed by it. I'm, I'm kind of, I played a lot of it in, in a couple of sittings and then I pivoted back to Elden Ring. Cause I, I want to finish in time for our bonus, but Tunic is, is yet another really, really wonderful game very early on in this year. That's going to be trouble by the time we get to goatee. Uh, it's, it's yep. the, <laughs> 2022 is, is a blessed year for games. Maybe cursed. We'll find out, but there's a lot of good stuff immediately. Which yeah. is kind of wild. Yeah, I, I mean, I feel like I could talk about Tunic for a really long time, but the longer I talk about it, the closer I'll veer towards accidentally spoiling something for somebody. So it's probably best to stop. I'll just say that, like, it's going to be pretty high up on my list probably by the end of the year. I, I actually, yeah, I, I, I need to stop uh, because I'm, I'm, I'm getting too close to saying some stuff that I probably shouldn't. I just think it's cool because I think like there was a version of this year. And again, this is all subjective, but I'm glad that you and I like I feel like what could have happened post Elden Ring was like, feel like nothing felt the same after like it's like i only like elden ring now all other games are (laughs) nothing to me it was really nice to like immediately find joy in something new and i think too i mean elden ring well it's a wonderful wonderful game like you said it is hostile it's given me bad dreams i started watching succession while i'm finishing elden ring and i actually like needed like to take a long walk i needed to stroll in all capitals like actually get rid of just the bad vibes yes okay I actually, yeah, I, I had a lot of nightmares while I was yeah. like, literally binging Elden Ring, which is wild to say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but 
Either way, yeah, Tunic, Tunic is wonderful. I think we'll probably revisit it again. Maybe we'll do like a spoiler discussion or something once I'm further in. Yeah, I would love to do that. I, I feel like, yeah, there, there's a lot of stuff hidden in that game that like, again, I feel I, I feel like I'm towards the end of the game, but uh, some people in Discord have been talking about an area that I don't I didn't even know existed, uh, yeah. which either means that I've missed it entirely or maybe that's where the actual end of the game is. I have no idea. How long would you say it is? Maybe 10 hours. Oh, really? It's really short. It's really that's short. actually yeah. good because I've played Elden Ring for 90 hours, so I yeah. could use a nice quick <laughs> game. Yeah. I'll also say um, there have been some improvements to xCloud recently, which is... Oh, um, cool. For those of you who are maybe new or haven't heard of it or whatever, but um, Xbox has this service that allows you to stream games to any platform that has an internet connection, pretty much. So that's like your PC or your Mac or your iPhone or your Android phone or whatever. And they've been improving it a lot recently. And Tunic, because it's on Game Pass, is immediately available on xCloud as well. They have a version of it for mobile devices where you can play with the touchscreen if you want to. But I've been playing it on my phone with the backbone. And it's like one of the best xCloud experiences I've had in a long time because this game just feels so well suited for mobile in that way. Yeah. Because like just last night I hopped in for like 30 minutes just to like explore an area that I was kind of curious about. I was like, I wonder if there's something here and like found a couple passageways that like led me to some cool stuff, found maybe an optional side boss at the end of it and was like, wow, cool, great. I just had an incredible session on xCloud on my phone and now I'm going to go to sleep. (laughs) And uh, that's the best shit. Um, xCloud continues to be very cool, but Tunic on xCloud specifically is great. I have good news, too, about Tunic and its availability. It's also on Mac, which I was oh, surprised to yes. see. Oh, yes. It's available. Yeah. Um, M1 Macs specifically. So if you if, if you have one of the newer Macs, uh, you can play it there, which is cool. Uh, I heard it runs really well. Our friend uh, Will is playing it on Mac and likes it a lot. Yeah, it's, al- it's always yeah. like it's like the new Macs can run games fine, but it's whether or not the game was built with Mac in mind. It's always. Yeah trickier than it should be yeah but that's good to hear yeah but that's tunic it's that's tunic man it's really good uh it's gonna be on my list i'll tell you that much highly recommend from yeah. both of us this this is another elden ring situation where like this is our first episode about it i'm being a little bit more coy but what i'm feeling in my heart of hearts is like this is gonna like really skyrocket towards one of my favorite games ever i think yeah um, it's really amazing. I mean, I feel like I just consider ourselves very lucky to have been doing this show in a time where like every year mm. there's at least one game where we're like, this is like one of my favorite pieces of media. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's such a gift to be able to experience that and also share our enthusiasm. I'm glad people like listening to it, but it just, <laughs> it's cool that like even last year, which I think some people consider like, oh, that was like a weaker year. It was still so fun to engage with what came out and there was still mm. so much good stuff. I think sometimes when there's not a cosmic event like Elden Ring, it feels like a slow year, but it's like there's hundreds of games coming out like every day. You know, we couldn't possibly cover all the great stuff. So anyway, I'm just I'm feeling very spring is here. I'm feeling very happy about (laughs) stuff. I went on a stroll. I got some sun for once uh, and I'm feeling good. Yes. Yes. All right. Vitamin D, baby. Let's take a break. You can get it from the sun. Goodbye. That's so weird. (laughs) Goodbye. That's right. Steven. (laughs) 
We're back in the world, believe it or not, of Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. Back behind the wheel. For the Nintendo Switch, you're behind the wheel. <laughs> Nintendo did something wild. I think I think we talked about it on the show. We might not have. I think we did. Uh, maybe, yeah. It's, know. You know, it's big Nintendo news, so I imagine it probably came up on the show. It's the only time we talk about news here. But uh, Nintendo did a really wild thing where they have announced this thing called the Booster Course Pass for Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, which is essentially a, a list of... What, what is it? Uh, I, I think it's like, actually, let me count this. I remember it being at least 20, but I could be wrong. Yeah, uh, they're adding 24. No, is it more than 24? Wow. Oh, my God, it's 48. What? <laughs> That's a lot. It's 48 courses. That's essentially like a new game worth of courses. That's two new games worth of courses, because I think the original game had six cups total, and now they're adding 12 more, Wow, which is really wild. Uh, so anyway, the whole deal is that if you have a Nintendo Switch Online plus expansion pack, which is the thing that gets you like Happy Home Paradise and the N64 and Sega Genesis games on your Switch, then you can also get this. So this is just included in that. Uh, you can buy it separately as well if you want. I, I forget how much it is. I think it's like 20 or $30 or something like that. But even honestly, I know that like sounds like a lot for DLC, but for 48 more tracks that they're adding to the game, that's like not a bad price to pay. Yeah, um, I agree. And if it's folded into this uh, Nintendo online expansion pack, then like it kind of works out anyway. Like I, I just downloaded it today and was like, let me just check this stuff out and see how it feels. And it's pretty cool that like the first wave of this just came with eight more courses because that's like a pretty sizable number already. And the cool thing about it is that it's essentially like a Super Smash Brothers Ultimate kind of thing, which like to be clear, this is kind of what I thought Mario Kart 9 was going to be. I thought they were going to just like turn that into like Mario Kart Ultimate and just kind of like put everything in one space like they did with yeah. Smash Ultimate. But it just kind of seems like they're essentially converting Mario Kart 8 Deluxe into that after the fact, which I think is a fun move. So they've added at the moment eight courses from a bunch of the different games. It's like some of the hits and some ones that I imagine you've never played, which I'm excited for you to check out because I think oh, you're wow. going to find them really interesting. But having just talked about every Mario Kart game yeah. on the show a couple weeks ago, I was like pretty stoked to check this stuff out. So the first uh, the first cup that they added was the Golden Dash Cup, which includes uh, from Mario Kart Tour, which is the mobile game, the Paris Promenade, which is like they remade a little version of Paris uh, that you drive around in. Toad Circuit from 3DS, which is like definitely one of the kind of more boring like kind of straight like you know kind of uh like uh, almost like the the all the courses that are named after mario were like the most boring ones possible it's like kind of the same thing but with toad here toad gets like the the really discounted like he gets the highways and like, the highway is great yeah. though this one is like this is like nothing there's like nothing going on on toad circuit i do love toad's turnpike but i just yeah. met like every like, just the conversation that happened in the mushroom kingdom we're like cool gets what? you get the canyon you get the casino <laughs> you get the highway in between courses like they ran out and they had to give toad something yeah uh well they, they gave toad toad circuit and it's fine it's it's yeah. extremely okay <laughs> they have choco mountain from the n64 which is oh, like oh that's a great one that's yeah. the hit i mean that's like yeah. that's like the one uh, that and what mumu meadows from n64 those are like the courses the, there's the original toad turnpike which is just driving against traffic yeah. doesn't have like the fun <laughs> the fun side jets of mario kart 8's toad turnpike yeah. and then they also uh, rounded out with coconut mall from the wii which i think is like actually one of the best ones from the wii so mario kart wii had really good levels overall it did it's yes. one of the better levels in the series yeah i honestly revisiting that game i thought it was pretty good um i was kind of surprised at how much i liked it but the courses are really stand out coconut mall in particular is really great i was so like that, mushroom 
Mushroom Gorge. Mushroom Gorge is good, yes. Yeah. So that's the Golden Dash Cup. They also added in this wave the Lucky Cat Cup, which uh, has Tokyo Blur from Mario Kart Tour, which is like Tokyo, which is driving around Tokyo. Shroom Ridge from the DS, which is an incredible one. Uh, yeah. it, that to me feels like Toad's Turnpike, but just like done correctly. It's weirdly. a clip side, right? Yes. Yeah, that w- that's a good one. Yeah. yeah, it's really great. Um, Sky Garden from the Game Boy Advance one, which like that. I mean, that might be one of the best, if not the best, most interesting level in Mario Kart Advance, because that I feel like that game and we talked about this in, in that episode and in the Game Boy Advance episode as well. But I, I feel like that game specifically is like, let's redo the exact vibe of the original Mario Kart for the Super Nintendo, but with a little bit more horsepower and a little bit more understanding of how this game should be played. Yeah. Um, it, it almost feels like Super Mario Kart 2 in a way. Yeah, totally. But Sky Garden, to me, is is like the track that felt like it kind of broke out of that and was like, let's push this really as far as we possibly can. Um, so it was really cool to see that remade. And then also from Mario Kart Tour, Ninja Hideaway, which I hadn't played in Mario Kart Tour, but uh, I, I want to talk about it a little bit later because, I mean, that, that course by itself is enough reason to download this, I think. And I'll get to why. But anyway, uh, that, that's wave one. They're releasing uh, waves two, three, four, five, and six before the end of 2023 so before next year ends there will be 48 extra courses that you can get from mario kart 8 deluxe which is pretty is pretty wild yeah it's gonna keep this game like active for a long time uh which is wild to say because it's already the best-selling switch game and has been like since it came out pretty much yeah and it's if you look at like the numbers compared to even like breath of the wild and stuff like it's it's unparalleled yes (laughs) and it's also for good reason again it's it's an incredible game and it's easily the best mario kart i think or at least one of the best so i think it makes sense for them to just update it because you know it's kind of like smash ultimate like you've compared the two already like the idea of them making a new smash brothers from scratch just because it's been five years eventually it doesn't really make a lot of sense so why not like we've said this before but i imagine whatever the next console is there'll be a smash ultimate deluxe that's like all dlc in one place and i imagine i would be surprised if they update that game again but it's just sort of like okay that's just like everything best of all in one place the series as we know it yeah uh, we don't we don't need to make a new one just because yeah and, and i i think if you have the best-selling game on the console like it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense as you were just saying to just go ahead and make a new one and and adding these courses is i i feel like probably and i, I don't know the actual financials of this but like probably a kind of low-cost way of adding a lot of value to this game um and and keeping it at the top of that list for a much longer period of time at least until whenever they decide to actually make a mario kart 9 like it they they've literally and figuratively bought themselves two years of runway of this game being at the top of the list which is wild to say that mario kart 8 deluxe a wii u game that got remade for the switch and was a launch title for the switch is going to be the (laughs) best-selling nintendo game for i don't know since 2017 and before so in 2023, this game is technically 10 years old, right? Because the Wii U one was in 2013, wasn't oh my, it? Oh my God, was it? Either 2013 or 2014. 2014, yeah. Yeah, so, okay, so a little under 10 years. But even still, that's that's pretty impressive that Mario Kart... I mean, that's, that's kind Incredible. of Nintendo games overall i feel like the value and like the audience doesn't really go away yeah. for a lot of them yeah but it's especially wild to hear that from mario yes. kart 
Um, Honestly, I look, I downloaded these. I played them. I've talked about this on the show before, but well, Mario Kart 8 originally for the Wii U is like really an all timer. Yeah. For me, I think Deluxe is like obviously the best Mario Kart game ever made um, and it'll be really hard to top. But just the fact that I'm like having new experiences in Mario Kart 8 in 2022 is completely surreal. And I think specifically pulling in the mobile game levels was a really smart move because i think i would have to imagine that most of the people playing this game on switch did not play the mobile version i know some people in real life who do play the mobile version like literally every day and love it and think it's great and and they're like grinding out characters and like doing all the microtransaction stuff and like enjoying it you know which you know to each their own i guess but I remember playing that game and thinking like this doesn't control very well and it's kind of a bummer that these courses are relegated to this game. Mm, uh, so just like right. unlocking them from here is great. Paris Promenade, really interesting idea for Mario Kart level where you do the first two laps down, you know, a, a kind of like normal pathway that you would pretty much any Mario Kart level. And then in the third lap, they put up a bunch of road blockers that make you essentially drive around and do the entire course backwards while everyone else is still driving forward. So like if you're towards the front of, of the pack, you're essentially driving against traffic with everyone else that you're playing against, which means oh, wow. that all of those items can affect you even if you're in the front and everybody else in the back, which is very cool. And vice versa. If you're in the back, then that means that all the people who are farther in front of you are going to start like colliding with you as you're driving down the street. It's a really cool idea. I thought it was like really impressive. It's like Baby Park a little bit, but less manic. Yes, exactly. Imagine if in Baby Park you drove like seven laps and on the eighth lap you had to just like loop back around and do it backwards while everyone else was still doing lap seven. It's very cool. And then Ninja Hideaway is the other one that I think is like a huge standout from this. Like as much as I love their recreations of like Choco Mountain, which is cool like getting the graphic update i think is fun they've like added a bunch of like crystals in the caves and stuff that you drive through it looks really nice um and sky garden which i've already talked about how much i like it but i just seeing it fully realized in 3d is really cool but ninja hideaway from mario kart tour is like absolutely the standout i mean this this course is why it feels like they're pushing the level design of mario kart kind of as far as they can in terms of the amount of branching pathways and the the amount of like secret pathways that are possible in a level because it almost crosses the line of being too difficult and too difficult to parse at the high speed that you're going, which I think is really cool. It almost feels like like a hard mode version of a Mario Kart track in that way. <laughs> um, there are a couple in Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. I, I feel like um, the F-Zero ones in particular yeah. are pretty hard. And there's that like Neo Bowser City, like cyberpunk Bowser City in the rain that also can get a little bit tricky. But the thing about Ninja Hideaway is that all of the places in which you're driving around in which you can like fuck up which way you're going you essentially just land in a different part of the level and you can keep going straight it just like might not be as fast as the pathway that you were taking before but i just i did the first two laps and on the third lap accidentally found an entire different track i guess that i could take um which i'm gonna try next time i do that level it's really cool it's very impressive so i don't know i don't mean to just be like a mouthpiece for like go get this dlc but if you have the expansion pack like there's it's kind of a no-brainer i just think if you like mario kart 8 and it's a game that you play with your friends either online or like whenever you have people over which i do 
very frequently, this is like the most no brainer thing to pick up because it just adds so much life to this game that already was great. Like I, I didn't yeah. need more stuff in Mario Kart 8, but I still returned to it a lot too. I was yeah. laughing because it's, it's the game that I play if I'm catching up with a friend over the phone, a, a really nice way to like aid the conversation is sometimes we'll play Mario Kart while we're talking. Yeah, totally. I, I try to do this with Smash Brothers, but it's a little bit too surreal to like be like casually catching up and then being like, you know, just spiked into oblivion off the corner of Castlevania. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you constantly taunt me while you're telling me about your life. <laughs> 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 There's a separation between what I consciously know and how I feel. Dede's just like lounging. Um, yes, exactly. But, but uh, with with <laughs> with Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, it's like the perfect, just like we're hanging out, like kind of half paying attention game. Yeah. And it's really, it's like so zen and calm and nice. Unless, and we usually just select random for the level until it's Baby Park, which is like truly an, a panic attack of a level. Yes. Or the, there's one, it's not Neo Bowser City, which I love, like the weird Blade Runner aesthetic. Mm. There's a Bowser level that's like kind of half in the canyon and the song is literally just like every minor note like (laughs) and the levels like break and like go into lava it's so stressful so it's like this game is so calm and chill except for two levels that like immediately give me a heart attack that when you when you said bowser that memory like unearthed itself in my head yeah is is that the one with the big uh volcanic bowser that like reaches out and punches the track is that the one you're talking about i think you're right that is that one because the outside it's it's the crumbling floor that gets me bowser punching <laughs> me is fine but the crumbling floor and the and the music just being like <laughs> this atonal choir is very yeah. unsettling i think i think the rainbow road in mario kart 8 deluxe is also like just there's so much going yeah. on well there's three there's there's the space station which is like i think that one crosses the line for me that one i, I think I becomes too much there's the there's the space station one. There's the steampunk train one that's in the <laughs> sky, but not in space. Yeah. And then there's the what I call the Secaucus, New Jersey one. That's just like a foggy day. Like <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> It's like a foggy day. And the road is like 30 feet above the ground and the, and the level wobbles. It's just like, no, I, I pick it constantly. And everyone gets so pissed at me. I don't know why it's Secaucus, but in my head, like just waiting at that train station for like a year straight uh that's a whole other chapter of my life when i had to rely on secaucus to get anywhere but yeah that's the secaucus new jersey rainbow road um just some lore for you it's for nope it's just for me it's just for me and aj <laughs> they get it there is a I'll, I'll i'll pitch it to you there's a there's a junction in new jersey that is the closest thing i've felt to purgatory there's it's like a fine train station but like there's it's the way public transit works in new jersey where we'll i wonder how many times we've talked about secaucus <laughs> on this podcast the thing is i think it's been like years yeah but Secau- we, we've had some villains of the show yeah uh, gamestop was one for a while for a bit, obviously yeah. monsanto i think yeah. is one of the more recent ones secaucus, turned ally yeah er, early on in the show did you say monsanto is an ally now no i didn't say anything <laughs> Are you getting paid? No. You're taking in Monsanto money under the table? We'll give you a paycheck if every now and then you say we're cool. (laughs) You can... You can dunk on us all you want, but every now and then be like, but they actually have a point. I think they're actually kind of cool. 
Okay, so the way public transit trains specifically works in New Jersey, the Garden State, is there's so many trains in the northern part of the state and not that many in the southern part of the state. So a lot of times if you want to go, like it, they're organized in a way that doesn't really make sense. So even though like you and I grew up in an area very close to New York City, to get there by train, you've got to take a train an hour south to Secaucus and then take another train to the Big Apple. Or if you want to go anywhere else in New Jersey, you often have to go to Secaucus first. It's a place that I've spent way too much time at. I always miss the next train, so I just have to hang out there for like an hour. I remember this this tells you everything you need to know. I remember I fell asleep there waiting for the last train. Like literally the last train anywhere. I was waiting for the last train. I was sleeping on top of my luggage and a man shook me and said, how do I get out of here? (laughs) And I said, I truly don't know. I've never seen the exit. You can only get out by train. So anyway, that that's the rainbow road level. Thank you for your time. Yeah. Uh, man, uh, I don't know. I, I don't think I'm going to thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm, I, I have a feeling that that was fun to listen to in some way, you know? <laughs> I don't think anyone turned it off. I don't think so either. I think, I think it's important to have that context because, I don't know, I, I see Sakakis making a comeback on this show. <laughs> I frequently described it as the island from Lost Made Real. That's usually... <laughs> how i describe it to people my i'll say this much i i for uh my six years of commuting into new york city from new jersey i paid an extra 40 dollars a month to not go to secaucus (laughs) i found a different route that wouldn't go through secaucus because i hated it so much (laughs) the irony is that it's beautiful the irony is that the station is actually the nicest train station i've ever been in and it's always empty so you just get these beautiful picturesque moments of like a beam of light shooting yeah. onto a beautiful sculpture and there's no one around and only you get to appreciate it. And you just get to think like, wow, this is so nice. But everything that happens there is just brutal. Right. There's only like a closed Sabaro and a bar that I'm convinced if you go to, you become a statue. I've never been. <laughs> I just like, I know like, that's the temptation. If you go there, because like, there's always like another statue that appears. Anyway, we're going too deep into this, but that's that's what that Rainbow Road level <laughs> reminds me of. So if you want to play that, it's already in the game. You it's don't even need to you buy to this DLC. You don't, have to do, you don't have to do anything. It's right there. It's always been there. <laughs> it's been there the whole time. I didn't have to tell you that. It's too Discovery next. as a driving force. Sakakis <laughs> is right there. You don't have to miss it. <laughs> we failed to mention at the top, it is another nighttime recording. And spring is here. So I feel like we're getting like rays of of something. Yeah. A Venn diagram of mania. Yeah. Yeah, sh- totally. I um, wasn't sure and totally. <laughs> Shotally. <laughs> yeah. Shotally, yeah. You want to wrap up, maybe? Uh, maybe. I, look, I'll just I'll just say this yeah, to yeah. wrap this bit up. I, I had an extremely good time with this. I'm excited to play these levels. I might yeah, even like play this game online again for the first time in years, like just by myself, because I think it'd be fun. It's really nice, especially, again, post-Elden Ring. This is like the perfect game to like calm yeah. the soul and get rid of nightmares. I just wonder what else they're going to start adding to this expansion pack, because that feels like the vibe, right? It feels like Nintendo Switch Online Plus expansion pack, which is such a silly thing to say. But like now that it comes with the N64 stuff, the Sega Genesis stuff, Happy Home Paradise, and this, it almost feels like their PlayStation Plus Xbox Game Pass thing. Yeah. It's just the expansion pack side of Nintendo Online. Like You can get the basic thing... And you get all those, I almost said great, I would say most of them are not great 
uh, retro games that they've included in there from the NES and the Super Nintendo. But this expansion pack, like adding on to games that you think are done from Nintendo is a really fun thing. Like, I wonder what's going to be next. Are they going to update arms in a way that's going to make me want to play arms? (laughs) Actually, (laughs) it's possible. It just it's such a Nintendo thing that we have like no idea. It's like there's no way of knowing in this particular case. It actually is kind of brilliant to add levels to this game that has an audience still and is still so well received and and selling well. Yeah. But it's also like, when does a game come out, then eight years pass and then gets like a bunch of DLC. DLC, Yeah. It's so confusing. (laughs) It's very strange. But Uh, uh, they just, they just updated Chrono Trigger on iOS. So now it's full screen, which is fun. Oh really? Uh, Yeah. They they just like uh, updated Chrono Trigger for the first time in, I don't know how long, but uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I, that's the world we live in. They buffed Robo. That's kind of cool. <laughs> they buffed Robo. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, I've been waiting over a decade for this. Heel Beam does something. <laughs> he, he has the only lines that are voice acted in the yeah. game. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for repairing me, Luca. <laughs> Everything else is the same. Yeah. It's Patrick Stewart. <laughs> I get him back. I've been waiting in this forest for years. <laughs> okay. I think we should maybe wrap up. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. This is becoming a, a weird tunic dream where we're in like an ethereal prism. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is a shorter one, I think, mainly because you and I are just playing a lot of Elden Ring still. Yeah, we're still trying to wrap up and it's it just worked out this way. I think, yeah, this is what, maybe a little over an hour? That is, we haven't had like an hour long episode since 2018. Yeah. This is a anomaly. I, I imagine this will not. I mean, it's not a bad thing, but I'm just like, usually we joke because we'll, before we record, we'll often say, like, oh, this will be a long one. And then it's always just two hours by default. Right. But this is the first time where we were actually right. It's just like an hour. Um, <laughs> so I think we could probably talk about Elden Ring again, but we really want to save all that for the bonus. So. Yeah, I, I want to give some people a reprieve from yeah, Elden Ring. Um, totally. We have we have an episode that's 35 minutes long. Which I I would argue oh, wow. I would argue maybe that's too short in that's retrospect. Too short. Yeah, uh, that's an early one, right? Yeah, that that was episode thirteen. So wow. you know what? It's uh it's fine. Yeah. But uh, for those of you who stuck with us after we withheld content from you, <laughs> shout out. <laughs> that episode is also entirely whispered. It's just <laughs> half hour of like. Super Nintendo. I said so many buttons X and Y. A and B, left and right, start and select. Oh, I just hit myself. We got to We got to quit this. We got to get out of here. Um, hey, thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, the best way to help it grow is to share it with a friend. Into the cast that online is our hub, not a junction for all our links and everything you need. Uh, really, truly big, genuine thanks to our patrons. Uh, the link to the Patreon is also there. We just got another like giant wave of support thank you so much again if back in the show puts any financial strain on you please do not but by back in the show you get access to all of our patron only episodes so no matter when you back it you'll have access to the entire backlog and like i've said for the last few weeks um, we have a new patron episode coming out in the near future Um, so keep an eye on that we also have some announcements about the patreon that will be at the very end of the month beginning of next month so we'll keep you informed on that as well 
So watch that space for sure. I have fallen off of streaming a little bit, but that's just something that like you and I do when we have time and there are kind of peaks and valleys of that. I definitely like to stream more stuff soon. What else is going on? What's on the horizon? Like what's what's coming out soon? Kirby, baby. Kirby. I think Chrono Cross is coming out too as well. Yeah, Chrono Cross is dropping soon, which I'm very excited about. Um, on Switch. And I think 13 Sentinels is also coming to Switch like real soon. Yeah, tomorrow, the day after we're recording this, um, we're recording this on Monday, but the day after this, uh, or I guess the day before this episode comes out, Rune Factory 5 comes out Oh, cool! on Switch, and I'm very interested to see how that ends up. Um, I've heard, because that, that's been out in Japan for a little bit, and I've, I've heard some not-so-great stuff about performance, um, and generally speaking, I don't really care about performance as much as most people do, so I wonder how I'll feel about that, but I'm just curious about that game in general. I feel like that could be kind of like a sleeper hit for me. Ghostwire Tokyo also comes out at the end of the week, along with Tiny Tina's Wonderlands, which I don't really know anything about. Um, but I'm excited for Ghostwire Tokyo reviews to drop. I'm very interested in. Yeah, me too. I'm very that. curious about that game. I'm also slowly getting back on track with preparing for the DS episode that will be our season five premiere. Can you believe mm-hmm. it? Mm-hmm. Uh, that won't be until like June or July, but you got to prep. And what else is going on? Honestly, not much. It's spring. Like, relax. Go outside for a little bit, you know? Yeah. I, I Take a stroll. It's probably the move. Uh. <laughs> real, real on the fence about buying Secaucus Junction Zone while we're recording <laughs> and redirecting that to into the cast online. It's forty one dollars a year, which I'm a little bit iffy oh, on. No, it's not worth it. Yeah, it's, it's not worth it. <laughs> Something so. about that number also feels cursed. Yeah, it's like so. Yeah, forty one dollars. Like, come yeah, on, wait, come on. Right, Who's pocketing the one? the one? Yeah, Monsanto, get out of here. Yeah, come on, go, Daddy. Grow up, Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> More like go gramps, am I right? <laughs> go to sleep, gramps.net. <laughs> anyway, what else what else is happening? I don't I don't even know. I feel like that's it. Yeah, I'm I'm yeah. excited for that. There's also a lot of stuff that I've picked up. Like there was that giant sale at the beginning of the year where we talked a lot about the Tokyo RPG Factory games yeah, yeah. and uh Shovel Knight, I believe. I got a lot of stuff like during that sale that I haven't gotten to yet, like Star Ocean and a few other things. So I'm definitely Star Ocean like, First Departure R. That's the one. I need uh, you to play that. Me, I, I need myself to play it. Once I beat the final boss of Elden Ring, I can move <laughs> on with my life. But uh yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff that I just haven't gotten to yet that I, I'd love to start like going back to our usual routine of just having like a random game from whatever timeline uh, to talk about. Cause I, yeah. I like new stuff, but I also want to be true to ourselves, you know? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I I'm working my way through a uh, dark cloud at the moment so I can oh, get to fun. dark cloud too soon, which uh, I'll still have on the horizon for a little bit. Again, it's nice to like kind of be free of Elden ring and almost free of tunic as well in a way. Um, yeah. Cause then I can focus on that more, which will be cool. I I've also been playing stranger of paradise more, which oh, I, I need to hear about that. I was like pretty iffy on doing a segment on that this week after last week's, um, I'll just, I'll say this about stranger of paradise before we totally wrap up. Um, yeah. I think the combat gets really good. Like it gets like actually really interesting, interesting and really, really fun. So I've, I've been having a good time with that. Uh, every once in a while, there's a cut scene that makes sense. And I'm like, Oh, you're trying something here. And most of the time it's like absolutely wild. I met a pirate recently. He's a pirate Lord. And, um, man, that could, that could be a whole episode just talking about this pirate guy. I almost need you to play this game just for, yeah, I, just, I feel like I have to once, yeah. once, once things clear up a little bit, I'll, I'll eventually get it and we can deal with Jack and make sense of what's going on there. But I have heard that the core game is very fun and then everything around it is like whatever headspace you're in, it will either be art or yeah. the opposite of it. Uh, I don't I don't want to say too much for spoiler reasons, but which is hilarious to say, but all of the promotional material about like 
Jack and his friends are out here to kill chaos gets like swerved pretty early on in the game and and the plot changes pretty dramatically. So I'm kind of in this space where I have like actually literally no idea what the like goal of the game is or what the quest is supposed to be or where I'm going or why outside of this like very loose MacGuffin thing that's happening that I kind of don't want to talk about. But that's kind of exhilarating to have a game that's like already this unhinged and I don't even know what the plot is. <laughs> it's like kind of thrilling in a way. That's amazing. Yeah, I am. I'm, I'm very curious. I'll eventually pick it up. Um, yeah, just play the demo. Just play the demo until it's over and then see how you feel about it. <laughs> I'm laughing because I watched you play the demo. I'm like, okay, let's do it. Let's buckle up and do yeah. it. <laughs> so we decided on next month's bonus as well, which I'm very excited to announce. We're going to be talking about Undertale, which is a big deal for me. I'm really, <laughs> really excited to finally talk about that game because I feel like it's come up a lot in passing. And I think I brought it up on Games of the Decade a few years ago. But I'm really excited to hear what your take on it is. And I'm also excited to talk about it. And we, we do this often where I feel like there's, there are games that kind of blow up in this way, um, whether it's like Chrono Trigger being knighted as like one of the best games of all time, you know, over a decade ago and then kind of revisiting that or Portal kind of being a more recent example of that. Um, Undertale is like a very recent example of a game that kind of is is thought of as one of the best of all time. It's in that pantheon. I, yeah. Yeah. And I I really got hit by that, like on launch. I, I played Undertale when it came out and it, it kind of like really messed me up in a good way so i'm excited to revisit it kind of removed from like everything that kind of surrounded it mm. after that initial impact yeah um and and see where we land but i'm really really excited to revisit it and to talk about it with you yeah that's gonna be it's gonna be a very interesting experience for me i think uh <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm excited to finally finish the fight as it were yeah uh, that's what they say yeah that's what they say Cool. All right. I guess we should wrap up then. Did we already do all the, I guess we did yeah, all the I, links I and stuff. Already. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was like 14 hours ago. Um, <laughs> yeah. Into the cast out online. That's where everything is. My name is Brendan Bigley. You can find me on the internet at Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. You can find me at Stephen Hilger. Have a wonderful spring. Get out of here. Frolic for once. Frolic for once. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
Oh yeah, let's go time. Avoiding the train. PWG, the worst garbage, the online.